Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chang. Hey everyone, this is Derek. Welcome back to the Food and Faith Podcast. We took a little break to catch our breath. We have a bunch of great episodes lined up for you over the next few weeks. In fact, next week, Anna and I will begin a series of conversations about our book project, A Just Kitchen. Next week, we'll be giving an overview of the project, and then the following weeks, we'll be having some interviews that we hope will inform the project. More on that soon. But I'm really excited about today's episode. I spoke with Shani Mink, the founder and executive director of the Jewish Farmer Network. Mink is a seasoned farmer, experiential Jewish educator, and at the age of 18, Shani began her farming journey at Evan Star Organic Farm while earning her degree in philosophy at St. Mary's College of Maryland. She has since worked on farms up and down the East Coast, spent time learning Torah in Jerusalem, and taught as an outdoor educator. This last experience landed Shani as a farmer at the Pearl Stone Center, where she managed annual production and the livestock operation for two years. Her work with the land has deepened her spiritual path, and the wisdom of the Jewish tradition has lent endless meaning and intention to her work as a farmer. Shani's desire to share the depth and beauty of the connection between farming and Judaism led her to co-found the Jewish Farmer Network with S.J. Selden in 2017. The cultivation of this network is Shani's proudest accomplishment to date. The Jewish Farmer Network is hosting an online conference called Cultivating Culture. It will be on January 30th and February 6th, and you can find more info at jewishfarmernetwork.org and in the show notes. One last thing, just want to remind you that you can support the work of the Food and Faith Podcast at www.patreon.com slash foodandfaithpodcast, and that can be for as little as $1 a month. All right, let's check out our conversation with Shani Mink. All right, I am here with Shani Mink. Shani, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. So we like to ask all of our guests this question. What is your geography? What are the places, people, culture, food, music, et cetera, that have shaped you to be the person that you are right now? So um, my family story is a little, um, is interesting because um, for a Jewish family, we've been um, on this continent for a really long time. So um, you can trace back uh, about five generations in the same county, Essex County in New Jersey, which is like pretty rare. I'm like, sometimes I say I'm like as American as Jews come. <laughs> um, and um, so I feel really tied to that um, part of New Jersey, which was I mean, Newark specifically was like a really um, vibrant kind of landing pad for for Jews escaping persecution in Europe. And um, and my family has had like a series of like small businesses in the area, one of which my dad still runs today. So um, I feel really connected to that space. Um, and before that, I'm a hundred percent Ashkenazi Jew, which means that um my family um, came from a, a line of Jewry that when we were uh, kind of forced into diaspora through um, persecution and colonization, we um, went to um, pieces of Europe. Um, so uh, Austria, Lithuania, Germany, Russia, and I think I'm missing one. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm just like a, uh, an Ashkenazi mutt. Um, so Jersey really made me, um, in a big way. Um, my dad's a big deadhead. So I grew up on Grateful Dead music primarily. Um, <laughs> you see pictures of me as a kid. I'm like, there's a 90% chance I'm wearing tie dye. And, <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So those are some of the, the big things that have made me, um, I also grew up um, kind of one foot in, one foot out of an Orthodox, uh, modern Orthodox Jewish community in New Jersey. So that's a big piece of um, who I am. And I like to say that I was like prepped to be a pluralistic Jewish leader because my parents sent me to Orthodox Jewish day school and then reform sleepaway camp in the summertime. So uh, the flavors of Judaism that I was being fed were very different in different parts of the year. So I know how to like do it all and function in all sorts of different Jewish spaces. Um, Yeah. There's a little bit of overlap between being Jewish as as a faith and sort of being Jewish ethnically and mm-hmm. and that that that's something that I think is very different than than what we experience in, in Christianity and I think that's um, is, is that something that you that you experience in in mm-hmm. in your upbringing and and the ways that you're raised something that kind of like differentiates Judaism from other faiths is that um like where it's often described as an ethno religion. Mm-hmm. So, so the tradition, the religion, the culture is something that is um, it's passed down um, through your family. And though there are paths to conversion, primarily, this is something that, um, you know, is passed down from generation to generation. There's a phrase in Judaism that we use often, Lador Vador, which means from generation to generation. So the idea is that there was this communal revelation at Sinai and everyone was there and every person passed it down to their children, to their children, to their children, to their children. Like I was there, I saw it, it happened and all the way down to me today. And this question of faith is really interesting because the way that I understand it is that Judaism, you don't have to have faith to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessitate faith. Like my brother doesn't practice at all. And no matter what he does and no matter how much he rejects his Jewish identity, there's nothing he can do about it. He's Jewish. <laughs> like, and I tell him this all the time. Like to the, the end of the day, you're Jewish. There's like, you can't, you can't change it. Yeah. Like it, like it is who you are in, in your blood, in your like ancestral memory. Like it is like in our cells. Um, and we have like carried, there's this, um, conversation about Judaism where like, you know, we, we like packed up our tradition. That was like a land-based tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to leave our land. We just packed it up in a suitcase and we've been carrying it around with us wherever we go. It's who we are, not what we believe Yeah, is, is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's, that's, and again, that's, that's very very different understanding of of faith and identity than most Christians have. Um, But it's, I I think it's a beautiful understanding of identity. Tell us about the origin of the Jewish Farmer Network. Uh, How'd that get started? What was, where were you when, uh, in your life, when, when this came to fruition? So um, I started working on farms when I was 18. Um, I went to St. Mary's College of Maryland, which, believe it or not, is not a Christian school. It's a public liberal arts college (laughs) in Southern Maryland. And um, while I was down there, um, my professor for environmental ethics said, hey, Shani, like I realized that you were 
you know, you seemed really interested in the food ethics stuff. I get a CSA from this farm down the road. Why don't you call them and see if you can get an internship? And I was like, cool. So I called this guy. I said, Hey, can I have an internship? He said, I don't do internships. I pay people for their time. And I said, great. Can I have a job? So I started working on farms about that time. And I, um, I worked there at that farm, which is called even star organic farm. I worked there from when I was 18 till I was about 22, maybe 23. And I would schedule my, my classes in college to be, um, in the afternoon so that I could work from like six, six 30 in the morning till like noon, one o'clock in the afternoon and then go to class. Um, so I came out of college with both a degree in philosophy and also four years um, of practical uh, farming experience, which was really exciting. And during that time, um, I had like exposures to like different things. And I think I was like, I was starting, oh, wow, I left something out, which is before I even worked there, I spent a summer living on a Hindu ashram working in a garden. Oh, wow. Which was like a really weird experience. <laughs> it was it was like amazing for me because I was 18. I wanted to volunteer on farms. My mom was really nervous about it. So I let her pick the farm. And my Jewish mother, who sent me to an Orthodox Jewish day school growing up, growing up, chose the Hindu ashram for me to spend my summer. So I was working in a biodynamic garden in the morning and evening. I was like meditating and there was like, um, like chanting and all these other things, which like, you know, if my Orthodox family knew about it, they would be horrified because it's amazing, like, considered like idol worship. It's like not good, but, <laughs> but it was like a really important time for me and my growth. And in my studies at school, I was also looking for substantiation for my feelings of like deep emotional and spiritual connection to the land. And that was something I was looking for through like environmental ethics. So like, you know, I wrote my, you know, my college thesis, I like wrote about like feelings of connection to the land and like building community with like, um, you know, all spheres of community, a la like Aldo Leopold's land ethic and um, bringing in like Joanna Macy and um, just the, the work that reconnects. And so I had been like, kind of like looking for it in all of these different places. And I felt really connected to like, you know, reading like Native American stories. And I was like, wow, they really get it, you know, but like it's appropriative, A. Mm -hmm. And then B, what I figured out by um I spent a summer working at this Jewish farm to table sleepaway camp, which in my mind, when I applied, I was like, okay, so it's a Jewish camp and they have a farm. Like they're like in separate rooms, you know, or this <laughs> is happening. They're like two separate pieces. And when I got there, the one of the the leaders during staff orientation said, Judaism is one of the oldest earth-based traditions still being practiced today. Mm. And I was like, what? Like my Judaism, the Judaism that I grew up in, grew up with, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and all of a sudden through that summer, all of these pieces of what I grew up with started to like click into place <laughs> because the picture of Judaism that I was given and that a lot of young Jewish people today have like inherited is one that's um, this is maybe dramatic, but like sterilized in a way. Mm. 
So the Jewish calendar is anchored by three harvest festivals, right? We have Sukkot, Shavuot, and Pesach. Uh, Passover, um, I don't know an English word for Shavuot, um, and I don't know. Uh, and Sukkot, I think, is called the Festival of Booths. So... Each of them is a harvest festival, but for Sukkot, for example, you're sitting in this like booth outside that you make this temporary structure and it's supposed to be a harvest festival. But when I look back at the way that I grew up, we're sitting in this sukkah outside and there's like plastic grapes hanging from the canopy, (laughs) right? And like, when I think back about that, it's like, it's like, of course I didn't understand it was a harvest festival. Right. Of course, that didn't click for me. I was yeah. given literal plastic <laughs> instead of like <laughs> things that are celebrating the harvest. So um, that summer at Eden Village Camp really set me on this journey of um, of reintegration of these pieces of myself, the Jewish self and the farmer self um, to like bring them together because they had been they, they had felt so separate. They had felt really alienated from each other. They felt like they couldn't exist in the same room. And what I learned was that not only can they exist in the same room, but they have to exist in this like loving embrace and mutually reinforcing relationship with each other. And that was kind of like the beginning for me of like, oh, like everyone who's Jewish and farming should know this. Like, I can't be the only one who feels this way. I can't be the only one who feels like my Jewishness and my and my like love and deep connection to agriculture. Feel I can't be the only one who feels like those things can't exist together. And so that really sent me on a journey of both personal reintegration and then um, eventually I would say like, it was like two or three years later, I was at, um, a Jewish food conference at Isabella Friedman, which is a Jewish retreat center in Connecticut. And, um, I met this person, um, SJ Selden, who is my co-founder of this organization. And at the, at the conference, they had called for like an impromptu, like anyone who's here, who's a farmer, we're going to get together in this room and talk. And what came out of that conversation was that like, I wasn't the only one who had had that experience. Mm. People who were Jewish and farming were feeling really isolated from each other and alienated by the Jewish community. Mm. So in farming spaces, they're often the only Jewish person. In Jewish spaces, they're often the only farming person. Mm -hmm. And so um, the next, very next day, it was actually January 1st of 2017, we started a Facebook group called Jewish Farmer Network. And, uh, you know, we're like five years later and now we're (laughs) a vibrant nonprofit organization. And somehow I went from a farmer to a nonprofit executive, which is a strange personal journey for me. Yeah, that's a that's a weird shift. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we do a lot of theology here, so um, let's let's start with Jewish connection to the land and that that sense of Judaism's connection to the land and, and Judaism. I love that kind of Judaism being the the oldest practiced earth based tradition. Like I love I love that. Um, talk to me about how how that shows up theologically that understanding of of god land people how that shows up 
for you and and maybe even where the origins of that that sense that made you want to farm and made you want to be connected to the land like where was that in your theology and the teaching that you had growing up judaism the way that our ancestors connected with the divine in the land of ancient israel was through their relationship with the land Mm -hmm. talking about you know when the jews came from egypt into the land of Canaan, which is, was Israel. There's this, um, this phrase in the Torah, which I am not going to be able to say verbatim, (laughs) but they, it talks about how, oh, like, you know, growing things here is going to be different than when we were in Egypt, because when we were in Egypt, we would put our, we would move our foot to irrigate our garden. Right. So this was like, they were moving soil out of the way so that the Nile could irrigate their gardens. Mm -hmm. But here, our water relies on heaven. So it's this land where our prayers for rain and our relationship with the divine, our sacrifices of animals and the temple service and all of these things, those things are directly tied to how well we do agriculturally. And agriculture was everything. It was the foundation of society. It was it was subsistence agriculture. So there, um, so for the Jewish people, there is this foundational connection between our life, our livelihood, our thriving, and our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just gonna start with that. Okay, that's great. That's great. Great place to start. <laughs> great place to start, and so. There are parts of the year that we pray for rain. There are parts of the year that we pray for dew. Our prayer language changes throughout the year because there are times in the year where you want a lot of rain based on that ecosystem, right? So we're talking about the ecosystem in which this tradition emerged. This tradition emerged in conversation with the flora and the fauna and the ecosystem and the moves of the natural world in the land of Israel. Yeah. Not what's happening here where, where I am in like <laughs> north, the Northeast of the United States. It really was in conversation with what's happening there. And so if you look at the liturgy that we use, we use still today, thousands of years since being cast out from the land, we're still changing from rain to dew at crucial moments because we want rain here so our seeds will germinate but we don't want rain here because we want our grains to dry properly right and we can't have rain because it'll mold it everything we do now is still like tied in with that which is like unbelievable and if you look at like the ritual objects that we use in our holidays so going back to the holiday of Sukkot we shake four species we bring together a date palm, myrtle, um, willow, and an etrog, which is a citron, four species. We bring them together on the holiday of Sukkot and we shake them in six directions. We're praying for rain. Each of those species is the thirstiest plant Mm. from each of the four bioregions in the land of Israel. So even the thirstiest among us, even the thirstiest of plants should get the rain that they need to survive. 
So even today here where I grew up in Livingston, <laughs> New Jersey, in an Orthodox community, we're shaking these four species that have been part of ritual for thousands of years based in that land. The way that we move through the year is anchored by the agricultural movements of the world. When we go from Passover is the beginning of the grain harvest. And then we carefully count 49 days until Shavuot, which is the end of the grain harvest. And every day we're counting. And every day that counting is a prayer that our grains will dry properly so that we'll have the subsistence that we need to survive. Now you can talk about that counting. It's called the counting of the Omer. You can talk about the counting of the Omer and practice it in a way that's fully divorced from its agricultural origins, which is what I was given. Right. But you can also ground it in its source and its reality. And then on Shavuot, what do we give? We give a bread offering, right? We like celebrate with like bread and wheat. And like, this is like the holiday that like celebrates the end of the grain harvest. We did it. We made it. We like got all of our, like everything we need to survive our stores for, you know, for the, the wet season when things aren't growing, like the, just to get everything that we need to get through. It's like wildly important. This coming week, we're celebrating Tubishvat, which is the holiday, the birthday of the trees. And on this day, if you're in Israel today, on Tubishvat, you can smell the almond blossoms. They've started blossoming. It's the new year for the trees. The sap is starting to flow. And we still celebrate that today. So there's all the earth-basedness. And then we can talk about, I mean, I'll, I'll let you ask another question, but there's a lot more I can talk about. <laughs> No, this is I, I'm this is fascinating. I could I could yeah, I could go really far down this rabbit hole. Um so then it makes sense that in some ways that the version of Judaism that you got growing up would not include these things because you're you're now in um you know, you're now in 21st century, you're you're not in Israel, you're you're disconnected from land and what was the reconnection for you what what where did the reconnection happen for you was it the act of being in in soil or in in nature or was it something that you found in scripture and in teaching or was it a combination so i think as as soon as i started farming like i i didn't have like a question about whether it felt right or not and i didn't have like a this is what I want to do moment, but I also didn't want to stop doing it. So I just mm -hmm. kept doing it. <laughs> and I think it's, it just like felt right for like my body and my brain and my, and like my soul. And I think that like, the more I like put together the pieces of like, oh, like my ancestors did this and oh, this is a crucial piece of like my like inherited tradition, um, the more right it felt not just on like an immediate, like, oh, this feels good now level, but like, oh, I'm like part of like a thousand zero year old tradition of Jews engaged in land. And there is a way in which like, as a farmer, like you experience 
the Jewish holidays in like a much deeper level. Like when you're celebrating the harvest and you've been harvesting for months, it feels really real. Like it feels, it's like, wow, I get to celebrate my work. And you're like forced to take this break to like celebrate. (laughs) And you can feel that in a way that like, you, like, I don't think that I had like access to it before I was farming. So I think, yeah, there, and it's just, you know, the more you learn, the deeper it gets. And that's just like a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Talk to us about what the Jewish farmer network does programmatically. What are you offering people? How are you, how are you keeping Jewish farmers connected with one another? Yeah. We started as a Facebook group and, um, we, this was a project that I was kind of working on in my quote unquote off time, my free time, um, while I was still working full time until, um, the middle of 2019. And then in January of 2020, I'm sorry, February of 2020, um, we had our first like program, which was our first ever conference. And this was like right before the pandemic shut the world down. And, um, we, um, we got a really generous grant to like put this program on. We thought maybe we would get a hundred farmers together. And we ended up selling out with 165 farmers from 26 States and three countries that all came together to like learn and build community. Um, and I really think it was like such a blessing that we were able to gather and like connect in such a deep way before the pandemic, because that has enabled like the energy that was like captured and concentrated there has like carried our, the momentum of our community forward into this time of like virtual learning and virtual connection. So in addition to our uh, annual conference, which we're, we're entering into our third year. So our third conference is um, January 30th and February 6th. It's coming up. So we do that every year. Last year, we had the, a virtual, we had over 300 people come mm. and we're expecting somewhere around the same this year. We also have online classes. So we have a, um, a study group called the Jews and Land Study Group, which is tracing kind of like the history of Jewish relationship with land starting in like ancient times and like asking the questions of like, what was our relationship with land? Like the question of like indigeneity to like the land of Israel and like, what does that mean? Like, there's just like a lot of like complicated questions and above all else, what we like, we like to describe our community as a community of question askers. Mm. So, um, there is this idea in the Jewish tradition of like wrestling with God. So when you think of the, um, in the story of, um, Yitzchak, oh my God, no, Yaakov, Jacob, like wrestles with, with Mm -hmm. an angel and it's wrestling with God. And that's like to be Jewish, like this goes back to our question about faith. It's not that you have to believe in God all the time, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like you have to be like actively wrestling with Mm. like, what is this? What is this tradition for me? What does it like mean for me in my life as a farmer? What does it mean for the way that I live the day, my day to day? Like it's the active wrestling above all else. So we have tried, we're trying to cultivate this community of question askers that are excited 
and brave enough to wrestle with the complicated questions that come at the intersection of Judaism and identity and race and colonization and, um, you know, talking about regenerative agriculture and talking about like food justice and, and, um, you know, unjust food systems that we're all a part of and like the colonization that happened in this country that made our work here possible. And so like wrestling with all of those things together. And so we do that at our conference. We do that in our Jews and land study group. Um, we do that in our affinity group. So we have, um, we have, for affinity groups that are thriving right now, one for queer Jewish farmers. So this is like, you know, Jewish and farmer is an affinity group already as it is, mm -hmm. right? It's like, here are two pieces of our identity that like, wow, I never thought I could find another group of people who are Jewish and farming. But then you go like another layer deeper and it's like, okay, a group of queer Jewish farmers. What does that mean? What does that feel like? Like, how can we show up for each other? How can we support each other? We also have a group for disabled Jewish farmers. So talking about ability, talking about chronic illness, mental illness on the farm and how that engages with our work and how can the Jewish tradition inform the way that we navigate those waters, right? So finding all of these different like sub communities that are reflective of the different facets of our identities um, help people to feel like more and more at home in our community. So that's something, yeah, it's yeah. Like a really important piece of our work. Yeah, that's that's really that's really beautiful. Um, I, I first off love the I've I've always kind of identified with that story, and so I I, I love the idea of wrestling more more so than believing. You know, I, I feel like my faith journey has been one of constant wrestling with God, <laughs> and I think that's something that people can identify with, and sometimes that's easier than than belief that's more real than belief i noticed also as i was going through your website that um you have made space for um black jews indigenous jews jews of color and and that that seems to be uh, I, I think probably coming out of 2020 a, a lot of those questions um came to the surface for a lot of folks kind of across the country. How have those experiences um, risen to the surface in your conversations? And what are what is the network doing to kind of support those folks who, again, you're talking about subcultures within subcultures within subcultures here. Um, so what's what's that work been like the last couple of years? Yeah, so um, that's one of our newer affinity groups um, to support um, Black and Indigenous um, Jews of color. Um, and this is like, you know, just deepening into facets of identity and finding space that's like reflective and that feels like safe and home. It's been a really big conversation in the Jewish community generally, like Jewish um, communal organizations, the conversation about Jews of color um, and trying to bring more representation because they, we suffer from something that we call ashkenormativity, which means that like the normative story that we tell about Judaism and what being Jewish looks like is one of someone who looks like me, right? Of an Ashkenazi person, someone through Eastern Europe, where in addition to like Jews of color, like generally, like we, like there are Jews that like 
are from Spain, went through Spain, right? There's like a branch of Judaism called Sfard, like Sfardiism. And like people who are Mizrahi, Sfardi, people who are converts, people who are Ethiopian Jews, people who are Asian Jews, people who are Latin Jews. Like there's just like so many other faces of what Jewish looks like and trying to bring like more representation to the fore is really important. Um, in terms of like our place in the complications of like race generally, I think like generally like in the food system, race is a really big thing because the ways that black people have been pushed off of land and systemically barred from the food system and like taken, you know, they, like when you listen to like people like Leah Penniman speak about the history of black farmers in the South and the strength that they had and like land sovereignty that was like taken away from them. Like we're part of that. We can't say that we're not part of that because we're Jewish and the ways that we are still like colonizing land and like on land that is like indigenous land like we need to like show up own up and like name our place in our food system and the way that it continues to um, negatively impact other people in the food system so um, we give a tax a 10 percent tax maaser which means it's like comes from the root word 10 every year we give 10 percent to um, a black-led food sovereignty organizations. And then for, from our conference ticket earnings, we give 10% to an indigenous led um, food sovereignty organization. Um, and so trying to show up not just um, with our words, but also with our resources. And at our conference, we, we do our best to um, bring representation and voices um, to indigenous folks and black folks in our community. So we're really excited that Michael Twitty is going to be keynoting our conference this year. Um, He's a longtime friend of the organization, and he's going to be speaking about um, Black and Jewish identities and the ways that, that those intersect with land and agriculture. Um, we had Leah Penniman and her children speaking uh, last year at our conference, which was really beautiful because her, you know, her husband is a Sephardic Jew, and she um, has identified as Jewish also. And like talking about how do these two pieces of our identity intersect with our relationship with the land? I think it's like a really important question and just really pushing the boundaries of like what Jewish looks like and being part of not part of the problem but part of the solution but we also have to work simultaneously to not tokenize members of our community that are Jews of color so like if you look at our Instagram we don't have that many Jews of color on our Instagram. And it's not because they haven't been asked. It's because like, they're like, I don't really want to be on there and be the token Jew of color. And we're like, okay, like your comfort is more important than our public image, right? Like prioritizing the members of our community and their comfort over everything else. Just, yeah, creating spaces for Jews of color in our community to feel comfortable um, owning up to our place in the food system and the ways that um, historically we have like, our safety has come at the expense of others, right? So like us coming to this country in pursuit of safety has come at the expense of other people. Yeah, and trying to be a force for, for more diverse representation in the Jewish world from the onset, instead of trying to fix something later as we're, as we're growing our organization now, we're trying to do it right at the beginning. 
Yeah. And I appreciate the level of thoughtfulness that you have uh, clearly given to this. Um, and I and I just want to just take a moment and applaud the um, that 10%. I think that piece is so important because I, I, I see so many organizations and I, this has really become in vogue with churches right now of doing land acknowledgements mm-hmm. um, without following up with any kind of action, without following up with anything that looks anything like justice. I think just, I think land acknowledgements are, are kind of weak, um, yeah. but actually being able to follow that up with some action and some, some, something concrete and solid, I think is, is really admirable. So I applaud you for that. Sorry. Our, our other <laughs> keynote this year is also, um, is with an organization on the West coast from the Bay area called Jews on Ohlone land. They work to um, mobilize Jewish communal institutions to give a land tax. And so they're going to be coming in as our keynote in conversation with an indigenous person from the Sigorte Land Trust, which is the land trust that that organization pairs with. And so having that conversation of like, okay, so as Jewish land stewards on stolen indigenous land, how can we use like Jewish wisdom? And like Jewish, like I would say Jewish farm economics as like kind of like the recipe for how to give um, and how to offer a land tax. And there's also like a big conversation in our community about the concept of Yovel. So um, there's Shemitah. We're currently in the Shemitah year, which is every seven years you let the land rest. But every seven cycles of seven, we reach the Yovel year, which is Jubilee. And in the Jubilee, there's um, all land is supposed to return to its ancestral holdings. Mm. So this question mm. of we've kind of lost track as a people of like when the Jubilee year is, and there is a question of like whether it was ever actually practiced, right? But, but it's written about, right? Like in the Talmud, in the Torah. So like we're having a lot of conversations now at our conference and beyond about like, what does that look like for us? Right. Like, what does that look like in terms of the land back movement? Like, how can that be like a crucial like piece of it? Yeah. Piece of that conversation for 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 Jewish land stewards on stolen land. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really that's a really powerful conversation. Be interesting to see what what develops out of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I saw on the website, the Shemitah Project. Can you just talk a little bit about what that project is? So the Shemitah Project is an opportunity for Jewish farmers and not Jewish farmers um, to um, have an like embodied experience with the ideals of Shemitah. So um, in the Shemitah year, you're supposed to let your lands lie fallow. So in Dirt, The Erosion of Civilization by David R. Montgomery, he talks about um, the ways that like agriculture, like destroyed soil basically. Um, But he talks about um, a couple of civilizations who were doing agriculture in a way that was not destroying the soil. And the Jews were one of them because of Shemitah, because we let our land and our Mm. soils rest and lay fallow every seven years, we were stewarding it in such a way that it would provide for us in perpetuity. Mm. So Shemitah is this visionary practice of letting our land rest every seven years, just as we as people rest every seven days on the Sabbath, the land, which operates on a different time scale than people, gets a rest every seven years. And 
the laws of Shemitah are not required outside of the land of Israel. There are certain things that like you have to do in Israel, but you don't have to do elsewhere. Shemitah is specifically about that land. So we're not required to observe Shemitah in the diaspora, but doesn't mean we can't just because we don't have to doesn't mean we can't. And so it's an, the Shemitah project is an invitation to, um, to land steward to say, Hey, why don't you let a piece of your land lie fallow and see how it goes, see what comes up. So we have like, I think like 25 people signed up and there are folks that are like, you know, they have a community garden plot that they're going to let it lie fallow this year. And then we have people who have like hundred acre farms that are like letting like three acres live fallow. So there's like a huge diversity of people that are participating. Um, but I think it's just like, I don't know that this has happened before mm. in, in modern history of Jewish people observing Shemitah in whatever way mm. outside of diaspora and just to like, you know, see what it feels like. What can we learn from it? Because there is this like release of control, right? When we're as agriculturalists, like we're a lot of what we're doing is like exerting our own desires um, onto the land and onto the landscape. Like we need it to look like this in this shape. We need it to be flat. We need the soil to be fluffy. We need, you know, we're going to put our tractors through it and this and that and the other, but in this year, we're just going to let it do its thing and see what happens. Like you're going to have some like crazy weeds growing like meadow like <laughs> situations. Like I know for me, it would drive me crazy because I'd like see all these like weed seeds, like <laughs> we, yeah, like weeds going to seed in the garden. I'm like, great. It's going to be a huge problem next year, but we get to learn from it. Right. Um, and I think that um, above all else, like that embodied experience is just it's just an, it's just an amazing um, learning opportunity and way of getting like more deeply in touch with the like ancestral technologies that this tradition has given us. I, I, I think that's so cool. I, I think that, you know, that is something that we read about in scripture. And as we learn more and as, as we realize that like regenerative agriculture is really not this brand new thing. It's this really ancient wisdom that we're recovering. Um, and, and that this is actually something that can be really good for the soil and, and, but also good for community because we have to, if we're not using the fullness of our land or if we're letting land go fallow, we have to rely on our communities more. We have to rely on other networks more. We have to trust that next year is not going to be a year full of weeds and uh, an unmanageable mess. Uh, I think all of that is just, there's, there's so much that can be, so much wisdom that can be mined from that. So I'm just, again, I'm just really interested in seeing how that project develops and, and what comes out of that. We've, we've talked about the conference a little bit. Um, is there anything else that you want people to know about the conference? Again, could you tell us the dates again? And uh, I, I'm so, um, I saw that Michael Twitty is going to be there. Michael Twitty is one of my favorites. Um, and um, just tell us a little bit more about programmatically what's going to be happening with that conference. Yeah, so this is the second year we're doing it virtually, and we think we got it down. 
we, we put on a good virtual conference according to our <laughs> participants from last year. So, so in order to reduce uh, Zoom fatigue, we have um, we do it on two consecutive Sundays. So you have a week in between to kind of take a deep breath. Um, we put some more space into the schedule this year as well. But um, this is a virtual gathering happening January 30th and February 6th with some evening programming happening uh, during the week in between. Between, but the main program is on those two days. And this year, as always, we're uh, we're cultivating a community of question askers that are ready to wrestle with our ancestral wisdoms and our diverse histories. And um, some things to look forward to is a keynote from Michael Twitty, um, a keynote from Jews on a Loaning Land and the Sigorte Land Trust, some uh, community morning practices, including yoga for farm bodies and uh, like a chanting Jewish practice called Avodat Lev, which means service of the heart, conversations about the spiral of Jewish agricultural time, um, talking about gratitude in the garden, so blessings for harvest, which, um, spoiler alert, there isn't a Jewish blessing for when you harvest and there's a reason for it, but you got to come to the <laughs> session to find out. Um, talking about um, the central Jewish food of, um, of, of wheat. So um, in this country, when we talk about indigenous peoples and also in, in Central and South America, talking about corn, right? Um, and squash and beans as like, like when we're in elementary school, they teach us about that. Right. So like the central seeds of the Jewish people are wheat and barley and rye. So learning about that, um, talking about Yovel, the Jubilee year, um, and, we're going to have some Jewish farmers from Africa zooming in to speak with us about this project that they're a part of with a dear friend, Akeda. Um, we're going to have conversations about the pilgrimage festivals that anchor the Jewish calendars, um, talking about Ashkenazi herbal traditions, the ways that um, bees and honey show up in the Torah. And um, a lot of uh, space for reflection and connection. So something that we did last year and we're doing again this year is we have lunch dates, which are these like open rooms where people can like come in based on um, identity, interest and geography. So you can come into a space for Jews of color. You can come into a space for queer Jewish farmers. You can come into a space for people who are farm-based educators, people who are beekeepers, people who are herbalists, people who are beginning farmers. So you can find like your people and space to like um, connect in like an unstructured, unfrontal learning kind of way. Um, so um, our conferences and all of our programs are offered on a sliding scale, starting at just $36 for the whole program. And there are scholarships available and you don't, have to be Jewish to, uh, to attend. So you're welcome to come, even if you're not Jewish and you don't have to be a farmer to attend. Um, we all have something to learn. So yeah. show up and it's fantastic. Yeah. It sounds like a, it sounds like a great conference and yes, putting on a virtual conference, a good virtual conference is a skill. And <laughs> in the last couple of years, I have been to some that weren't great um so <laughs> so uh, i I'm, I'm excited to see how how yours how yours um continues to grow and progress 
Um, and hopefully we'll get you a time when we don't have to do virtual conferences quite as as much as we have to do them now. I, I did want to ask before our, before my last question, I did want to ask this question that Christians and Jews have the Hebrew scripture in common. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I think there there is a way in which that common scripture can be uh, a place for dialogue. And I think it has for for Christians who are finding their way back to land. I think a lot of where that's coming from is from the Hebrew scripture. It's coming from um, it's coming from Genesis. It's coming from the prophets. It's coming from um, it's coming from those places. And and there's there's sort of a there's sort of a thin line I think between having a common scripture using that for dialogue and appropriation and and or or and misuse do you have any thoughts about how how that dialogue can happen in a way that's fruitful that's not uh, misappropriation of of scripture misappropriation of culture mis- um, that's not misuse of scripture and its intent or or any sort of the cultural and customs that are wrapped up with what it means to be Jewish. Does that question make sense at all? It makes sense. It's, <laughs> such, a, it's such a big question. Um, and I'm not sure how to answer it. <laughs> That's fair. But I know that um, one of like the beautiful things about our work and like giving the gift of ancestral wisdom to Jewish farmers is that it means that they're appropriating less from other cultures because mm-hmm. um, they have something that's uniquely theirs. Um, so like when we talk about people are like hype on permaculture, but like we know that like permaculture is an amalgamation of Aboriginal indigenous wisdom that was like bottled up by two white dudes and like sold for a profit, right? <laughs> so, um, when we give Jewish farmers the gift of like their own ancestral wisdom, that means it's like, okay, here's this thing, like, this is yours. Like you can connect with it. It has all these things that you're looking for. It has like this like spiritual connection. It has like the um, temporal connection. It has like the, the time for observation. It has the time for letting the soil rest. It has like, you know, this, um, the ways that we're working with like animal ethics and waste and like all of these different things that like you're looking for elsewhere it has in there. Um, But the complicated relationship between um, like the Jewish Torah and the Christian Bible and like, I don't know that I could be the per like I feel I'm like am I the Jewish authority on it? <laughs> uh, not not honestly not asking for you to be an authority and more asking for opinions. opinions. Opinions, yeah. I think it's um it's complicated, and I definitely have found myself in spaces like talking with Christians where I felt kind of like cringy, where they're like, oh yeah, like this is like the Christian, like, you know, Christian ideals. And I'm like, but it's Jewish ideals. And like, I don't really know how to like parse through that in a way that is like mutually like beneficial. But I guess I could say like in the context of our conference, like while we invite people who like aren't Jewish to like, please come, there is like this idea of them showing up as like 
um, non-Jewish allies that like mm-hmm. honoring that this is like a Jewish centered space. And like, there is always that like fine line between like, um, like sharing and evangelizing because I know that like Christ, like Christianity and my understanding of it as someone who grew up in a totally Jewish bubble um, is, <laughs> is like, is like fairly missionary, right? The idea is to like, like to like share, you know, share the word and the faith um, in Christ. And so um, Judaism is, is not, is a strictly non-missionary tradition. So you're not supposed to ask people to become Jewish. Like you don't do that. It's like a big no-no. Like if, if you're a person who like, you're like they, the idea with co- people who are converts, people who convert to Judaism, the idea is that they've always been Jewish. Mm. They just went through something to confirm it. Like they've always been Jewish. No one asked them to convert. They just like, they, they were like, oh, right. This is me. I like need to like get this right, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that there is like a, yeah, just like a fine line there and like being evangelized doesn't feel good uh to jewish people um because it sometimes yeah like it's like i i appreciate i think that christians need to hear that more often that we undervalue people's faith traditions when like there's a there's a history a, a ugly history of christian missionary activity christian proselytizing that is um that makes less of other people's faiths and that has been that has been something that has marked christianity almost from its you know from from like you know 300 on um yeah. and and it's something that we need to be called out on. It's something that we need to be checked on because it is something that is, is it really hurts places where there could be interfaith cooperation and where there could be inter interfaith allies. Yeah. There's like this interesting thing with um, our Facebook group, which is like where our community building kind of started where like, there are questions like, do you identify as Jewish? Like, what's your relationship with agriculture? And like, often we have people who are not Jewish try to join the group. And it's like, oh, like, I love the people of the book, like, or like, you know, the people of God. And, and it's, and that's like wonderful. And like, as a member of a um, of a faith group, of a tradition that like, you know, we, we're swimming in Christian waters all the time. Like this, this country is, and especially like within like food, food and farm based, uh, uh, circles, like it's a Christian hegemonic system. Like that, that's like what it is. And so we have to work so hard to make space for ourselves as it is that like, sometimes when someone's trying to like come and be like oh no but i love jews it's like okay like just, just, just like you can love us from over there for, for right now like we're trying to like make this like safe space for ourselves and like you know like when we think about like also like affinity groups within our spaces like i love like you know the queer and trans people in our community so much that doesn't mean that i need to be in their affinity space right. you know yeah um And so, and that doesn't mean that we don't have amazing conversations to have with each other about comfort, about like identity and agriculture and like all of these different things. And I know that that space isn't for me, but I do think, um, 
I think that there are like these same like motivating principles that are found in, in the Torah in your old Testament towards a more just and regenerative food system. And I think that if we like take that as like the foundation for conversation, I think the only thing that that could do is move the collective food system, which we're all part of, um, forward in a way towards, um, kind of like the ideals that are, um, outlined in the Torah. So, um, I think that we should definitely be in conversations about it because if we can be like getting people Christian and Jewish to be shifting their agriculture towards something more beautiful and more sustainable is not the best word anymore, more regenerative and, 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 reaching towards, um, greater degrees of justice. I think that, um, I think that those are, yeah, the really important conversations to be had. Yeah. Well said. So we do want to end and I do want to be respectful of your time and you've given me a lot of time and I appreciate it. Um, but we like to end with asking our guests, what gives you hope, not uh, hope that ignores the issues in the world around you, but kind of gives you the resilience to get up in the morning and do what you're doing. I think what gives me hope is the ways that my community continues. And, and I would say the like larger, like farming community continues to show up for hard conversations um, about the uh, like unjust and like often frankly, like disgusting uh, realities in our food system Um, and the ways that, people are beginning to like bravely own their own roles in um in creating such an ugly food system and perpetuating it um i yeah i'm hopeful because of the people that are willing to show up for the conversations yeah i i agree with that i agree with that 100 percent that people are having these conversations at all and that there's there's a lot of courage required for some of these conversations. Well, thank you so much for your time. Can you let people know how they can connect with you or connect with your work and all of the ways that, um, just go ahead and, and tell us any way that we can keep up with what's going on. So if you're on Instagram, you can find us at Jewish Farmer Network. Um, That's a great way to hear about what we're doing. And um, our website is jewishfarmernetwork.org. And you can sign up for our newsletter to hear about programs. And we're also on Facebook. Uh, You can just look us up there. I don't know exactly what the URL is. And (laughs) those are the best ways to keep in touch. Great. Well, Shani, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work that the Jewish Farmer Network is doing. And um, hope that we can have a follow-up conversation because I think that you're you're doing a whole lot of great work that I would love to see how it develops. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, the Garden Church, and the Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.